Hey everybody, welcome to another edition of The Lighter Side of Serial Killers here on the Boom Bastic Media Network. I am your host, Keith Rovere. I'm an author and collector of true crime art and memorabilia. I spent the last 20 years or so in prison uh, rehabilitation and aftercare and outreach in one form or another. Um, my passion is to bring awareness that our prison systems do not work here in America, not for rehabilitation. You might say to yourself, I don't care. They, some of these men and women committed horrible crimes, and they need to be punished. Well, okay, I certainly understand that, and some of them definitely do. But what happens when they get out? What happens when they get out and they're your neighbor? And they went in for being a violent offender. The prison system made them twice as much of a violent offender. Now they're out, and they want to be violent. When your little uh, five-year-old and ten-year-old are playing out in the yard, and he's sitting on the porch staring at your children. Then you're like, oh, I wish the prison did a little better job now. Well, that's where I come in, and people like me, I'm just doing my little tiny part. Um, I guess I'm still fascinated with serial killers, a psychopathic mind. Um, but the whole goal of what I do is to help these men and women out. People say, ah, they're a psychopath. They can't be helped. Well, yes, they can. Uh, a simple thing is just showing kindness and compassion, some things um, that these men and women have never felt before. There has been progress. But on the basic level, prism recidivism, what are the percentage that these men and women will reoffend, reoffend once they get out within three to five years? Well, in the American prison system, over 70% chance, 70% chance they're going to reoffend once they get out. Why? Because it's punishment-minded. Negative reinforcement. Take away, take away, take away. You know, there is nothing positive done when they do good. See, a psychopath is not deterred um, by anything negative, by punishment. They're not deterred. Why do you think there's so many psychopaths and serial killers out? They're not deterred by prison. Now, now if you ask them when they're in prison, they oh, I wish I haven't done it. But at the time, it's not the way their mind works. Their minds aren't like our minds. You can't put yourself in their shoes. But positive reinforcement does work that we're seeing. That's why prison systems in Norway, they're violent offenders. There's less than, a, well, about, a, there was 30% of the time of my book. When I released, released my book, The Story Review, there's about a 32% chance um, that they would reoffend once out within three to five years. Um, now it's about 20% and dropping because uh, it's positive reinforcement. It's about counseling. It's not just teaching their guards how to shoot people and club people and take somebody out and rip up their rooms and solitary confinement. No, their prison guards go through counseling classes and communication classes. You know, and it, it, They're taught um, trades. The local um, shops and local businesses come to the facility uh, to help these people out. So when they do come out, they have a relationship built with them already. So that's my goal, to bring more awareness to that. Um, so our prison systems eventually start changing. Some have, like North Dakota. They're adopting the positive reinforcement style that Norway has really started. I know my state here in New Jersey and Pennsylvania, um, they've flown up to Norway to see it. And I was like, oh, no, that's too difficult to do. We don't want to do it. That, it's your horse's ass. <laughs> you know? Yes, you can. You don't want to spend them. It's not really that much money. If you look how many people reoffend to get thrown back in prison to taxpayers' dollars on that, that's what you can't afford. Letting, you put in a couple bucks uh, in training – um, the guards and people who work at the facility, um, that's worth it because you're not going to see these men and women once they get released and back in society. But, hey, now, now they're taxpayers. Now they're you know, outstanding members of the community now. Imagine that, a little positive reinforcement. I say all that because tonight now we're going to be talking to Luis Turpin. 
uh, wife of David Turpin from the Turpin family. You might be thinking, holy crap. Um, if you've seen the YouTube documentary, I, I forget where, 2020 or somewhere I had it on there. You can look up the House of Horrors, um, the abuse that their children went through, um, not bathing maybe once a year, uh, very malnourished, uh, eating once a day if they're lucky, usually just like peanut butter and jelly if they were lucky, um, no schooling, a lot about the homeschooling, um, just the torture and the abuse of the children. You're like, what are you doing having, having her on your show? If anybody needs love and encouragement, it's Louise Turpin. Um, there's a very good chance she'll be paroled one day back into society. Um, her background, we're going to hear from her, uh, my conversation with her. Um, we have multiple conversations um, that she uh, agreed to put out there because she wants to be an encouragement to other people who suffered abuse, um, the sexual abuse, the mental abuse um, that she grew up in. You know, from her immediate family. Um, and again, we'll hear her story. But again, this is why I give people like this a platform. One, to encourage others not to do this. Um, to encourage other people that um, you can change. You can be a better person. Um, and even if you commit the most heinous acts, you know, the violence uh, and neglect and torture of children, um there's redemption for everybody. I don't care who you are. And I'm giving everybody a platform. You might be tuning in this, tuning into this show um, just to hear from her, uh, just to think that I'm crazy, or you're going to jump on board with the rehabilitation bandwagon. You know what? There is positive. You might listen to her and she's like, she's a, you know, I don't believe a word she's saying. Okay, that's, I'm giving them a platform, you know, and, uh, and I'm going to be kind no matter what anybody thinks. I'm going to show compassion and, and mercy um, to help change. Hey, even if she's totally lying, even if she's trying to pull the wool over everybody's eyes, um, I'm still showing love and compassion because maybe one day that, that uh, like I said, I'm chipping away at a stone heart. You know, one little uh, bang of the hammer, the chisel at a time. One little piece a day is softening someone like that's heart uh, to realize, you know, what she's done. Um, the abuse that she has um, not only uh, withstood herself with the marriage what she and her husband have done with the children, to the children. Um, it's an amazing story. Uh, so, again, I'm going to continue to do my part uh, in this. You know, The Story of You is my book about you, Masaki, and my last chapter, The Story of You, Y-O-U, is to do your little part. So this is my little part, showing love and encouragement to many people, giving them a platform and hoping of rehabilitation. Um, yes, I reach out to the most violent offenders. Um, the worst of the worst, so to speak, those whom the world deems unlovable. Um, that's my part. Call me crazy. That's not <laughs> you won't be the first one. Um, so anyway, um, here is my conversation, uh, multiple conversations uh, with Luis Turpin of the Turpin family. Hello, Luis. Uh, first of all, how are you doing? And uh, we haven't talked in a while. Uh, so, have you made any new friends there since uh, since we talked last? You know, I've made uh, a few friends. You know, I actually got baptized on October thirtieth. Wow, that was nice. <laughs> so I got, and um, so that's kind of new. Um, oh, it's been a while since we talked, huh? Yeah, it's it's definitely been a minute. Um, now, is there a, a you guys have church there, or is it? Does a, a chaplain come in, uh, or how did that work there? Uh, you know, for your baptism. Uh, actually, um, the the 
the chaplain here, we have service every Sunday um, through that, through the church service that they have here on the main yard. Um, they offer baptism, or they do a baptism like twice a year, and then they do class for that before you do, like the class is like six months long or something. Oh, that's wonderful. Definitely nice. Yeah, it's really nice, you know. That's great that they do that, teach classes, instead of just saying, hey, who wants, you know, who wants to be dunked in some water or some water sprinkled on you? Uh, a couple of classes that say, um, you know, this is actually what it means. Right, and to kind of see where the person's heart is, like, this is, you know, do you know what you're doing this for? This is, you know, you know, this is serious, you know. So what do you think has been uh, um, the most important thing that you've learned, you know, through uh, those Bible classes? Um, you know, throughout the past year or so, um, that they've they've taught you. Well, I will tell you. Um, you know, I had I grew up in church, and but it was very strict church. One of the things um, that I was taught was wrong was to get a divorce, and so I struggled a little bit with that um, when I. And I even asked the chaplain about it, talked to the chaplain about it a little bit to be clear on it, you know. Um, when I made the decision to get a divorce, I had prayed about it, and I spent, like, quite a while in um, my years and everything just trying to figure out, you know, like, why am I questioning myself? You know, like, it was just, I was never happy in the marriage. Sure. Now, does David still uh, try to reach out to you or to uh, or try to write to you? Well, okay, it was, it was September 
didn't respond back. And then he wrote me again, and I didn't respond back. My birthday is in May, and he sent me a birthday card, and I didn't respond to that. I didn't send him any kind of Christmas card or birthday card for him or anything. I had I just really just stopped talking altogether. Um, after May, I, he finally just stopped, you know. And so there has been no communication since then, and that's really good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, some churches out there. Um, a little more legalistic, and some aren't. Um, they're totally against divorce in any circumstance. Um, but there are passages in the Bible, and we hear from Moses and we hear from Jesus, that it is acceptable to get divorced. Now, it says, you know, God hates divorce, yes. But if you commit adultery or if one partner um, leaves the faith or they were never a believer in the first place, I mean, that's biblical grounds for divorce, and that's probably why you, why you feel good right now. Yeah, you know— I've learned through the years, and now I'm really, you know, really at peace where I'm at. And, um, but, you know, I've learned that there's so many different beliefs, and it's all in how the Bible is interpreted. But I've learned that I'm just going to let God speak through the Bible. I don't need somebody else to tell me, oh, no, that's wrong. I'll let God speak me that that's wrong. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, sometimes, yeah, you know, like we might have a question or we might need some advice or something like that. That's okay. But, I'm just saying that it's just really hard because it's hard for people to know because I grew up in a religion where so many things was wrong. Like, I was taught that the husband is supposed to be the head of the house and do what he says, no matter what it is, you know. And, you know, like, you take whatever he lashes out, you know, like. <laughs> but, you know, I think, I think a lot of people take scripture and they, you know, everybody interprets it different. That's definitely true. Um, I mean, it's good to find somebody that you trust, somebody who is very um, theologically sound that you can trust, hopefully somebody there or a chaplain there that you can trust as you're going through. Uh, obviously, feel free to ask me any questions. Um, even if I don't know the answer, I'm sure I can um, you know, find it for you. Uh, but you also have to be mindful there's people like Charles Manson out there who people believed he knew what the Bible said, uh, and they followed him. Or how about David Koresh? Um, and they followed him all the way to the fire and numerous other people, countless other people who use scripture as a ways and means to uh, manipulate people. Um, I mean, like, for example, the, the husband is the head of the household. That's very clear in the scripture. Um, but if you look at Ephesians, um, right after it says that, it also says, you know, wives submit to your husbands. But Ephesians says, the Apostle Paul through Ephesians, husbands and wives submit to one another. And the whole point is, you know, it's a picture of the marriage is a picture of really the Trinity. You know, Jesus loved the church, so and he laid down his life uh, for the church or for his bride, so to speak. And that's the way a husband should treat his wife, that he would lay down his life. That much of a loving, caring way that the woman would want to submit to her husband, just like the husband would want to submit to his wife in some things. And yes, the, biblical, the Bible does talk about how the women sinned first, and she's going to have pains in childbirth, and there's some things, you know, she can't be head of a church and things like that. Yes, we get it, but... Um, and there's nothing wrong with husband taking the lead. You know, maybe I'm just a traditional guy, like, you know, open a door for somebody and, um, you know, just be that. I think that is true. It should be the way uh, it is if he loves his wife unconditionally, of course. Um, speaking of loving and loving the family, um, how's your relationship with the children? Um, how's that been? Have you Are you still in contact with them, or did they, did they write, or did they call you? That's very difficult. Um, there's only one of them I, I talked to. And so that's really hard. Um, my youngest one doesn't even really remember me anymore. 
know, I put everything in God's hands. And in his timing, I believe I will um, be reunited with them. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, of course, it's a possibility. You know, through God, all things are possible, as they say. Um, but it's a blessing now that, you know, there's forgiveness. Obviously, uh, you, you are in contact with, with your one daughter, uh, which is great. You never know what the future holds, but at least now, uh, it's a blessing right now you're talking to one of them. It's a, it is. It's an awesome blessing. And do you have anybody there uh, that you're friendly with or the, uh, that you trust there to confide in and to talk to? Um, yeah, I've made a couple of friends. I feel like they're genuine. <laughs> yeah, I know sometimes at facilities that can be a little tricky. <laughs> yeah. Now, these friends are uh, also Christians that uh, you go to church with? Um, yes, they are. That's good. Um, I mean, I've, I've been talking to a few people about our, our conversations and letters we had, um, but even with your background, I mean, uh, we'll get into you know, a lot of um, things, you know, what happened you know, with the children and everything else. Um, but you had a rough break. I mean, you were talking, um, you know, from early abuse and sexual abuse from you know, people from, obviously, your, your own family and with, with your father. Um but there's going to be people actually who look up to you as, in one sense, as crazy as what happened uh, with the house and, and with the children. Um, but in one sense, you're a survivor, too. Um, and I think you can be an encouragement if this story ends well, um, starting with yourself and a positive change and forgiveness on all parts, you know, from what you've done with, you know, with the husband, uh, with the children. Um, but in a sense, I mean, you are a survivor, and there are going to be people who actually, as crazy as it sounds, that look up to you. Um, hey, she survived this. Yes, horrible things were done, um, but the book's still kind of being written on your life. Um, but you, you, in one sense, you definitely are a survivor. Um, no matter um, if you're who you are, if you were physically, sexually, mentally abused, and you came out on the other side um, of it, and you're still here, in a sense, you are a survivor. It, it's nice to, if I could do anything to help others, prevent it going that far you know i would i want to be a part of that you know so yeah i mean that's the whole point of you know I, i'm thinking of this podcast of, of what we're talking about here what we're going to share um is your journey um yeah we, we had some low lows uh, but sometimes you know you know the lord is going to bring you to the lowest place um you know rock bottom as they say if not worse than rock bottom um and that's where the healing starts uh, for you and for your children. Um, it has to start somewhere, and sometimes in a facility uh, like where you're at, in a prison facility. Um, that's the freest you've ever been. You know, sometimes that's where the healing uh, really needs to begin. It's crazy, too, because I, I tell people, you know, like after I filed for divorce, that I'm happier now than I've ever been in my life. And I found that some people found that interesting, especially like any family I've talked to. They said, wow, you're in prison and you can say that. And I'm like, yeah, I can say that. You know, like, you know, I needed to come here to actually realize what I needed to do, which is really crazy. You know, I, I always knew. I, I feel like I knew what I needed to do. It's just I didn't do it. But that's where, you know, like a lot of times people say, like, I don't understand why she stays. Why does she put up with that? You know, like you hear things like that. People say that. But until you've been there, you know, like I can relate to people on that. You know, like I can understand to a certain extent. But yeah, it's something I should have done a long time ago. And like I said, it's—I mean, divorce—the divorce crossed my mind before I was even married a year. Not like I didn't—I didn't act on it. <laughs> you said you realized in the first year that the marriage um, 
might have been a mistake. What were some of the signs? What's that? You mentioned you really second-guessed yourself uh, the marriage. Like, what happened in that first year of marriage that really made you think, ooh, this this uh, this is might have been a mistake? Well, here's the thing. Now, this is the surprise, is that before I got married, I was, didn't even really want to marry him. So I wasn't even happy about going into the marriage to begin with. And there was no excuse. Well, I don't know. Okay, so when we first went out, I was 15, he was 22, and when we went out on our third date, he raped me. Wow. Um, I started to say he never physically abused me, but I guess that would be physical abuse, and so that's why I was like, stop myself because, um, and then on dates after that, you know, like, there were dates after that, and every one, he would force himself on me, and I would push him away and say no, and I would try to fight it, but. I wasn't strong enough. And so there was, he ended up, um, when I introduced him to my best friend, he ended up asking her out. And then, and then um, he just started dating some other girls. And then he came back to me. Um, this, this, is, this, this is just over a period of a few months. Then he came back to me and gave me a dozen roses for my birthday and then he moved away to another state then he came back uh, like three months after he moved and told me he wanted to talk to me he wanted to see me I didn't know what that was about but I went and when I went with him he just burned somewhere and he pulled out a ring and said will you marry me and I said no and I think that caught him by surprise but I wasn't happy, you know, because he had hurt me in a lot of ways. Of course. And so I said no, but it surprised him a little bit. And when I said no, he was hesitant for a second, and then he asked me again. And I said no. But he continued asking me, and I continued saying no. After about I had 10 to 15 times, I just wanted to go home. And I just, I said yes, just to get him to take me home. And so after that, I confronted him again, and I said, I really don't want to get married because I never wanted to get, I was 16, well, I was, yeah, I was 16, and I said, I never wanted to get married this young, and I'm just, I'm not ready is what I told him. It's true, I didn't want to get married that young, and that was the first time I saw his temper. He got mad and told me that I don't have a choice because... I already told him I would, and I couldn't change my mind. And that he was really angry, and it scared me. And so I walked away from it, and, you know, that was... But I was still engaged, because he didn't take the ring back. He told me I didn't have a choice. And the thing is, is I kept this all to myself, and I didn't tell my family about it or anybody. And... So nobody knew about these things that's going on. Um, my mom was concerned that I was engaged, and she tried to get me to go out with other guys and stuff like that, and she, but she never knew any of the details or anything. I never talked to her about it. So, you know, he wanted to run off, and I, I, I told, and then I first said yes to that because I was used to saying yes. I wasn't good at saying no at the time, and. Then I told him, I said, no, I don't want to run off because 
Well, see, I was the one, I, I was the kid in school that never got in trouble, you know, things like that. So, but I was, I wasn't one to want to do that anyway. But he got mad over that. So I ended up agreeing to it and we ran off and got married. But that's how I ended up getting into it. But honestly, when I married him, I didn't even feel like I really liked him. So it was easy to know shortly that I wanted out. I'm sure. But then, you know, like, you're taught that, you know, marriage is forever, that, well, in my case, you know, that divorce is wrong in God's eyes and so many things, you know, like, and so, like, I guess we were married probably about maybe seven or eight months, and I asked him, I said, can we just be a counselor? And he said, no, we don't need to be a counselor. There's nothing wrong with our marriage. And I said, but we fight. And he said, well, that's normal. And I said, I agree. It is it is normal to argue or, you know, to happen, you know. But I said that you, you hurt me. You, you, you know, you hit me. You hurt me. And he said, well, that's normal, too. And so I was never able to go on my own, you know, so he would know. <laughs> and so it just, it just continued and continued. It was a... I know, like, he changed our wedding vows. My daughter even reminded me of it one day, but he had changed our wedding vows. He, he wouldn't have so this was part in it. He refused to have that in there, so he changed it to till the resurrection to his part. And, and my, what happened was, is I was talking to my daughter on the phone one day, and she said, you know, I found a copy of y'all's wedding vows. And I said, really? I didn't even know there was a copy laying around. She said, I didn't either. But she says, um, when I was going through the stuff, she says, I came across it. And she read it to me and read that till the resurrection to his heart. And she said, I never heard it like that. And I said, yeah, I said, that is kind of different. <laughs> but I said, I said that it was something your dad wanted in there. So he put it in there. That is kind of interesting. But, but yeah, so that's kind of like some of the beginning. No, I hear from a few people when even if the marriage isn't going well in the beginning, when they have their first child, um, it almost like takes their mind off it. Now that, you know, I have somebody to love, you know, and someone to love me when I maybe, you know, I haven't really felt that type of unconditional love before from anybody. Um, I can get that now out of my child. Was that kind of um, what happened with you? That's so interesting because I was just thinking about that earlier, but um, I wanted a baby right away. Because for me, getting married was all, I couldn't wait to be a mother. That was the most important thing to me. And I felt like that was the only reason to get married. He didn't um, want to have a child, but not said, no, nah, no, nah, let's wait. Let's, he was kept sitting it off. And I understood. I did graduate from high school after I got married. But after I got graduated, I ended up pregnant with my first. You know, I had the morning sickness and everything, and he suspected it too. But he still wasn't at that point yet. And um, I was, I knew he wasn't happy about it. He said, well, just take a pregnancy test. Let me know. He said, but he was really upset because he thought I might be pregnant. He told me that it was all my fault if I was. So I remember I took the pregnancy test, and it's like, I remember that at that moment when I saw that it was positive, I was so excited. I just, happier. I was so happy, you know, like I was so full of joy, and I was just like, thank you, Lord, thank you, you know, like, but this is, sure as I got happy in just an instant, I turned around and sat on the floor and started crying. Oh, then I got scared. So 
something I knew that that's not something he wanted. And I remember I said, please, God, whatever he does to me, don't let him hurt the baby. And so I was so scared. I didn't know what he was going to do or how he'd react, even though he knew I was pregnant. And when he came back, he asked me, he said, well, did you think that was the first thing you wanted to know? And I said, yes, it was positive. And he was not happy about it. He was angry. But um, he walked, He did walk away. He didn't lay hands on me at that time. So I was thankful for that, and I thank God for that. But he wasn't happy about it, And but I was scared. I was, and I, um, he told me um, just a, day, a couple of days later, he said, I made an appointment. And I said, oh, okay, for what? And he, was, he made an appointment for us to talk to somebody about an abortion. Mm. And that was so hard because I'll be honest with you, Keith, I would never have an abortion. I would give a baby up for adoption. Couldn't do it. Yeah. Everybody has their opinion about abortion, but sure. my personal opinion is still a life the way I see it. And it was very hard to sit through that. He took me there, and I, this lady was trying to talk to me to having an abortion. I mean, uh, uh, the good news is you you didn't have the abortion, um, and obviously you had uh, many children after that. How far apart um, were all the children? I had my first baby in 1988. Mm-hmm. I had my second one in 1992. Then I had one in 1993, then, then 95, then 97, then 98, 99, 2000, 2002, 2003, 2005, 2006, and 2015. Jeez, yeah. You got that memorized pretty good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, it like you're a professional at this. Did each child, um, was it easier and easier to give birth um, the more children that you had? You know what? It's crazy. They say it does, but no, that's not true. So my third one, well, let's see. I'd say my, if I had to say which one was my hardest labor, well, actually my hardest labor wasn't my third one. Um, I actually almost died with her. Wow. I came, I came really close to dying with my third one. Um, there was, um, the pain was very intense. Uh, with all of my pregnancies, all of my labors and deliveries, I never took any drugs. I've never, out of having 13 babies, I've never had an epidural in my life. We're natural births. <laughs> they were all natural, and uh, they were all hospital births, but they were all natural. I didn't take anything. If they offered me something, I didn't take it. Um,
played in bed for an, uh, and the, she was five days old, so it was the fifth day. I really felt like I was dying. I just, I didn't feel like, I thought I came. You know, like something's not right. <laughs> and I told him, I said, I really feel like I'm going to die. I feel like I'm slipping away. And he said, he, he went and called the doctor's office and she told him to bring me in immediately. And it was so bad I couldn't even walk. Seriously, he had to carry me. It was it was that bad. And so when he finally got me to the doctor's office, they had like this sofa in the doctor's office, and it was empty, and I laid down on it. And when the nurse saw me laying out there, she said, bring her back immediately. So when I went back there, they took me up to the sonogram machine. They got me on the table and took me up to the sonogram machine. And she said, I need to get the doctor. So the doctor came in there, so it was the nurse and the doctor. And the nurse told me, she says, okay, she says, um, what, it, what it was is she told me that she was going to open me up manually, and she said it's going to be very painful. So I'm just warning you <laughs> that, like, it was just like, she. there was a lot of blood clots she had to, actually there in the office, like, get out of my uterus. And so she had to actually, like, get all this out. It was just like I just was filled up with all this blood inside and everything. And she told me what it was. She said it was an infection I had gotten, and I forgot what it's called, but it's some kind of infection. And she said that women get it um, when they have babies sometimes. She said my body didn't react to it like most women, so they overlooked They didn't. They missed it. She said that's what it was. She said, if you hadn't come in when you did, you would have died. She said, you came in just in time because she said, you, you wouldn't have made it another day. Oh, wow. You couldn't have made it another 24 hours. Mm. And so she told me that I would have died. And she said that most women that get that, no, she said a lot of women, a lot of women that get that infection do die. And so she said, I was really lucky. She said, another reason they didn't catch it is usually when the mother gets it, the baby has it as well. It passes on mm. the baby. And the baby was fine, so. At least everything turned out well. Yeah. That one was, um, you know, every pregnancy was different. Some I had more sickness in and, you know, than others and stuff like that. I was, my 10th one, I was I was the sickest through the pregnancy. Um, that was, that was during my pregnancy. Almost that was number 10 too, but that was, that was not during childbirth. That was during pregnancy later in my uh, pregnancy because I got I got really sick but um my fourth one was probably my fastest one he um I felt the urge to push before I even left the house and when they got me on the when they got me on the table they didn't even I mean when I got on the bed they didn't even give me an IV I was already ready to have him he was born 20 minutes after I got in the bed well, at this point, you're probably a professional. <laughs> you've had a few. Like, Listen, stand back. I'll take care of it myself. I don't need a, don't need a help right now. <laughs> I got this. But, but he was the fastest. But you know, I have to tell you though, for seriously, that my easiest one, my easiest pregnancy, and I was was my last one. My, she was my easiest pregnancy, my easiest labor and delivery, and I was 47, two months away from being 48 when I had her, and um, they had me like on this. Um, they were watching me real closely because they considered it a high-performance pregnancy because of my age. And But I did. That was the only baby 
of all of my babies that I didn't have any morning sickness or get sick with at all. I, I went to the went to the hospital and she was she was checking me. She said, you know, I don't think you're going to progress. I think we'll be sending you home. I just I, I said I, I thought in my head I thought she'll keep me. And then, and then right after I thought that my water broke, and I said I think you should check. My water just broke. She said, oh, you're saying. Mm-hmm. And then I told her I said I said. Um, I'll have a pretty, I said, I'll have a pretty fast. I said, after, because uh, by this time, like you said, I've had so many babies, I kind of knew what I was doing at this point. <laughs> I saw uh, a few pictures online of you guys. Uh, like an Elvis impersonator. I don't know if it was Disney or Vegas or something. It looks like uh, uh, you guys were having a good time. Do you remember what that was? Oh, yeah. Yeah, you know, actually, um, we took kids to, to Vegas once. Oh, so it was Vegas. Yeah, that was where the Elvis impersonator was. Impersonator was. We took him to Vegas once, and um, thought they would enjoy it, you know, just something new. Because when we were in Texas, we didn't really go out and do much of anything. Um, we never went out as a family and did things as a family. When we came to California, um, that was something nice because we were doing things as a family for the first time nice. in our lives. So um, we were doing different things. We took it, we went to Arizona to see the Grand Canyon, took him to see the fat, and um, we took him. We had annual passes for Disneyland, and that was fun. And we took him to Vegas. And so after our trip to Vegas, we were leaving Vegas, and I asked them, I said, next year, do y'all want annual passes for Disneyland, or do you want to come back to Vegas again? I was expecting them, honestly, to say they wanted to go to Disneyland. But they said, we want we want to come back to Vegas. And I said, um, I said you do realize that I said annual passes, which we can go like we did before, you know, you can go as much as you want throughout the year. They said, no, we want to come back to Vegas. I said, okay. Yeah. So we went back to Vegas the next year. But it was something different, fun. yeah. It was it was fun for them because, like I said, we never, never went anywhere during the years. Sure. Did the kids ever want to get involved in any sports or any outside activities? Or did they, you know, just mostly, uh, did you have them hang around the house? They mostly hang around the house, yeah. Now, you had mentioned how abusive David was even when you were dating. Um, was that something that happened throughout your whole relationship with the children? Did he become less abusive and then maybe abusive later, or uh, um, there, or did it happen the whole time? Yes, it did happen all throughout the relationship. Uh, honestly, I should have known. I mean, yes. I mean, even before we got married. Not should have. I knew before we got married. He was like that, so. Did you ever think if, you know, obviously you're, I mean, you're a survivor yourself, but if you can go back again, you know, a second chance, you know, would you do anything differently? And do you ever think about that of kind of what you would have done differently? You know, and I thought about that and I thought, oh, I do things so differently. And, but you know, here's the thing. I would. And you know, sometimes it's like it's hard. It's bittersweet. Because mm-hmm. then I think about the kids, and it's, it's hard to think about that because, you know, I, I hate to think about not having them, but it's crazy. I, you know, I think there's a reason we don't know our future <laughs> and what it would be. It definitely would be so different. Well, I mean, you know, I mean, you are talking to one of the children, um, one of the daughters, so that's good. You know, it's it's baby steps, you know, hopefully until full reconciliation. Um, I know we're going to get in, you know, some of the, the harder questions, too. Right. And also, I want you to know that I want you to feel comfortable asking me anything, you know. I may not 
think of something to say or whatever, but you can ask anything. Oh, so, I mean, if I don't want to uh-huh. say it, I'll tell you, but I'm mostly just talking to you, so. Oh, I mean, I really appreciate that. I mean, my goal with anything um, is reconciliation, um, even though there's going to be hard things to talk about. Um, but that's the goal, you know, is reconciliation. I think there's going to be a lot of people. I mean, your your story's still being written. Yes, you went down a dark path for a while. You did, you know, some things. You and your husband, you know, with the children, which we'll get into that. Um, but the story's not over. Hopefully it's going to be a story of redemption, reconciliation, but that's the goal. Um, it's it's reconciliation. I mean, the story is um, hopefully, you know, going to have, you know, start turning towards the positive. Right. It already uh, is. That's just so good. Um, take us, if you can, inside the mind of, of David. Um, when you guys were maybe even out of the house, I mean, what was his mindset or how was he treating you um, outside the house, like in public even? He was very jealous, um, and he was like, when I would go to the store or something, I'd be like, Oh, God, please don't let there be a man at the register because he could hide me or anything. It was like I knew David was going to lose it. Because <laughs> um, he was just, he was that way, you know, like, jealous. Like, we, you know, like, for example, like, um, he physically abused me one time because a guy shook my hand, shook my hand to welcome us to the neighborhood. Who was doing that? You said walking through the neighborhood? Uh, just, okay, so we had just moved into the neighborhood. And David was unpacking, and so he, I, I, you know, let him know that we needed to get some groceries. He said, well, why don't you go to the store and get some, get some groceries? Because it was just, like, probably five minutes from where we live. And I said, okay. So I went. Well, when I came back, I told David, um, because I didn't think I'd done anything wrong. So the guy at the grocery store, he um, offered to walk out to the car for me, which I thought was nice. And... Um, he was talking to me, and he asked me if I was new, and I said, yeah, we just, yeah, my husband and I, we just moved into the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And he said, oh, he uh, loaded the groceries into my trunk for me, and he stood out his hand to shake my hand. He said, well, welcome to the neighborhood. And I said, oh, thank you. I shook his hand. Well, when I got back with the groceries, I said, they're really friendly here. They're nice. He said, he said what do you mean? And I said, well, the guy um, that bagged the groceries, he took him out for me, put him in my trunk, and shook my hand and welcomed me to the neighborhood. And he got angry and physically abused me, and he was very angry over that. And and I was, I didn't think there was, I, I didn't understand, like, what the deal was, but he told me, he said, he was angry over me shaking his hand. Oh, I said, I said, he wasn't coming off to me, he was shaking my hand, and he said, he told me that was the same as him holding my hand. That was his words at the time. Oh, jeez. So I felt like that was kind of like an extreme jealousy type thing, you know, like, but that was one, that was one example, you know, like. Now, was he like that throughout the whole marriage? Yes. Yes, he was. He was. And, I mean, he would get angry. Like, he got angry over other things, too. That was one of the things he got angry over. One time, this happened, I think, I think at the time, we I think we'd only been married like yeah, about a year and a half or something. I was like 17 or something. I I had taken the car to take him to work. I I finished high school after we got married. So I would take him to work, go to school, whatever. And one time I went to pick him up at work. And I was like 10 minutes late. I had 
really thought nothing of it. I was just getting there as quick as I could. And when he got in the car, he said, why were you late? Well, I hadn't even thought about that. And I said, I don't know. I was just running late. And he hit me with his fist in my stomach. Oh. And I remember leaning out the car door and I couldn't get my breath back. And I was under my breath saying, oh, don't let me back. You know, like, but yeah, I was like, it was scary. But yeah, you know, just different things like that. The way, like, I remember when we had our first one and he disciplined her, I would step in and stop it because I did not like the way he disciplined. And he, he would push me out of the way and tell me that, that you know, like, they were going to grow up and be bad because of me that it was going to be on my fault that they were going to go to hell and things like that. And wow. I didn't like the kids to see me. I didn't like the kids seeing me physically abused. I watched my dad abuse my mom. That was a very horrible experience for me growing up. And so it was something I never wanted my kids to see, and I tried to avoid that. You know, like, any time he would run after the kids, I would go to. I was, like, you know, scared. You mentioned, you know, being scared, especially... After the first child, um, how long was it before um, you had a second child? Well, actually, I didn't. After I had my first one, I was. I had my little girl. I mean, I had. I didn't care if it was a girl or a boy, <laughs> but I had. I had my baby, and I was. I was happy, and I didn't. I didn't. I wasn't really wanting another one at that time. Besides, I wasn't. I wasn't excited about going through childbirth and all that again either. <laughs> Anyway, so, um, finally, he, he wanted a second one. He really wanted a second one, so, um, you know, I did agree to it, and we had a second one. Um, the third one, when she came along, we weren't really, well, I wasn't planning to have a third one at that time. He, he said he wasn't either. She was a little bit of a surprise, but she was a good surprise, but after that, um, I decided that, you know, I was okay with having more, and he definitely wanted more. And they just kept coming after that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, let's fast forward a little bit. Um, I mean, you mentioned your faith helped you out through all this in your personal uh, reflection. Uh, I mean, I mean, sometimes the good Lord takes us to rock bottom. I mean, I don't think true healing um, and forgiveness can happen until we hit rock bottom. Uh, as far as the awareness the, of what we have done, um, sometimes even the evil, <clears throat> excuse me, the evil that we have done in our past, um, our eyes can't be open to that until we hit that bottom rock bottom point. Um, because that's where reconciliation happens. That's where forgiveness happens. Um, I mean, it sounds like you have hit that point or have you hit that point to where you can start the reconciliation process, the forgiveness process with your children. Right. And, you know, I actually um, wrote my daughter, or well, I actually wrote all of my children a letter. Um, I'm not talking to them right now, but I can, I can at least write them a letter and someday probably get to them. And I, you know, did it from my heart. And so I did it when my roommates were asleep because I knew it was going to be very emotional for me to do. I wanted the, you know, like, my, my one daughter I had, she's the one that actually made the call and actually 
enjoyed the whole thing, and hers was the most special to me because in the letter I told her, I said, I thanked her for what she did. And I told her, you know, how proud I was of her for being so strong and having the courage to do what I didn't have the courage to do. But it was like, you know, it's like, it's very emotional because I said what I needed to say in that letter, like, as if I was talking to her standing in front of me. And I did that with all of them. But I wanted her to know how proud I am of her. Mm, that's great. <laughs> now, I've seen... Um, there's a video on YouTube. I mean, you might, I don't know if you've seen it at the trial or, or if not of the police, um, his camera, you know, his, his, uh, camera, I guess they were on their chest, um, of Jordan, um, you know, I guess going through the window and, and reaching out to him, which is amazing. Obviously he has very limited interaction with people and the, the courage and the braveness, um, of her, um, making a phone call, reaching out to, um, the 911 and a police officer coming in the um, really courage is the only thing I can say. Um, now, I don't know if you've seen it, but when the police came to your door, um, that was on, on camera too. And all I can remember um, thinking of that is one, the look of shock uh, on your face you know, of not knowing what was going on. I mean, can you take us back to that moment? Um, Am I right to think that it was it just, you were just totally shocked uh, when the police came to the door of of, of uh, why he was there? It was, uh, yeah, it was shocked. Um, I remember exactly like when I, I think I was, my first thought was how David was going to react because that was my first thought with everything that happened because uh, I was really actually a little surprised that David stayed calm. Because um, he has a temper that goes off very easily, and maybe maybe it's because he knows he knew, you know. And I think for me, I was just scared. I didn't really know, you know, what was going on, or I didn't really. I don't know. I think for me, it was just I was scared, and I didn't really know what to expect. I'm uh, sure, and uh, and with his face, it looked like actually more confusion uh, than anything else. And you know, I tell you, the crazy part is, it's like I used to actually, even from the time we were first married, for years, I used to think that one day he's going to go to prison. I used to know that. So one day you're going to end up in prison. You know, like um, but the reason I did that is because of his youth, and it's like. I don't know why. I, I can't for the life of me can't understand why I stayed. Why? I mean, I know what I was thinking then, but now I look at it and I know the difference. It's crazy to me that I actually stayed and knowing what everything that was going on, you know. Now, looking back on it, uh, if you could go back, you can't obviously, but if you can go back in time. Knowing what you know about him, um, the outcome of everything, his violent temper and all that, um, would you do anything differently? Well, okay, let me tell you what was one of the things was one of the things that sparked me is I was scared and I didn't know where to go. And especially with that many kids, where would I go? What would I do? And then I was scared of his reaction. But knowing what I know now, I believe I'm strong enough now that 
what I would have done differently was is I would have it's, it's hard. You know, you know the hardest part is I had so many kids. But you know some of them some of them, a lot of them were adult children at the time. But even before then I should have done it a long time ago. But I probably if I had it to do over now, I would probably contact one of my family members from you know, like North Carolina or West Virginia because I didn't have anybody in the state that I lived in. We always lived so far away from the family. But I would have probably seen if I could have gotten them to help me. Um, there was one time on the phone that, and this is like, um, I don't know, this is later, like, I don't know, this is like 2013. Let's just think of this was actually 2014. 2014. Actually, because I hadn't talked to anybody about what was If you can, take us inside the mind uh, of David or yourself as far as uh, what some people call torture and abuse and neglect with the children as far as not allowing them to shower, to bathe. I think one of the children said uh, once a year they were allowed to bathe. Uh, there's pictures of the shower. It's just a mess, and the house was a mess. Um, children said they were starved. Um, the video from the police officer, you see handcuffs on the bed. I mean, what was going inside of David's mind and um, to allow this to happen, or what was his reasoning for causing this to happen? Um, he was the head of the house, you know, and pretty much, you know how the Bible says that the head of the house, the man's the head of the house, and So you're saying that's how he was raised as far as the, the punishment style, the um, lack of food or discipline and um, that extreme? Yeah, that's what he told me. And I didn't know that until he told me that. Just like when we were first married. And he told me, you know, like, um, we were first married. We married about a year, or a little over a year, and I, I asked him, So in his mind, 
Um, he wasn't punishing or torturing the kids in any way. That's just the way he was brought up. Right. He took a lot of the physically, too. Like, like the force was even low. You know, like, that was always honest to me, too. Now, for yourself, um, and I've known many women who've been abused uh, growing up or from infancy, sexually and mentally, um, did they end up being people pleasers? Uh, did you find yourself in kind of that role? Um, even though some of the horrible things that were happening that he was doing to you and to the children, um, that you were in that people-pleasing mode that no matter what or how horrific things were happening around you guys, um, that you just wanted to please him. Does that have any bearing um, on that situation at all? And, you know, I think that's very interesting because I noticed, like, when I first came here, and, you know, like, I have since I have been here, I really have been like that where it's like I'm a people pleaser and I'm just trying to please everybody. You know, like, you know, like I have that mentality not to say no. You know, like if somebody says, can I have this? I'd be like, oh yeah. You know, like <laughs> I, I can see where that was in my mind. Kind of. But yeah, I do see what you're saying and that makes a lot of sense. Yes, and I would agree with Obviously, you know, we've known each other for a while now. You know, I'm all about, you know, reconciliation, the, the positive spin on things and uh, healing process. Um, but such a high profile case, if you will. Um, I, I'm sure you've gotten letters, um, hate letters and things like that. And how do you deal with you know, people like that? Or has it been mostly positive or uh, maybe other, you know, Christian people reaching out to you? You know, I've had, I have had some positive emails. Um, a lot of a lot of mail, well, actually, I said email, but I get a lot of, I've gotten a lot of mail um, since I've been, but more, more of it's been, you know, it doesn't seem like it's hate mail, but, but um, it's kind of interesting because um, I've gotten mail from Australia, from France, from Canada, and then different places there, you know, it's and what I used to do was I used to, well, when I was a kid, I got a carrot up the other way. There's been a couple of times that I looked at it, and um, there was this one lady that sent me a Christmas card, and I don't remember what it said, but it was really nice and it caught my attention. Mm-hmm. And um, I wrote her back and thanked her for the card, and the kind words and everything. Mm-hmm. And Finally, um, as we kind of wrap things up here a little bit, and of course, thank you for you know your kindness and, and the time you've given everybody. Um, what would you have to say to somebody who's maybe in your situation? Um, they feel like they're stuck, they can't get out, they might have done 
um, or in the process of doing some things they shouldn't be doing and some horrible things maybe, um, even though they've been through an abusive relationship. And obviously none of this is an excuse. Um, just kind of trying to give people awareness of the situation, what was going on in your mind, David's mind. Um, but would you have any words of encouragement for somebody who's kind of standing in your shoes, so to speak? To never be afraid and to always know that there are people that can help you and that you are strong. You know, I have been so confused for so long. I would want them to know that, that you are stronger than you realize and you're beautiful, you're amazing, and it doesn't matter what anybody else says. You know, like, you are special and God knows you're special. All right. Well, there you have it. Uh, my conversation with Louise Turpin. Uh, again, no matter what you think of her, um, again, I always try to put a positive spin on things. Um, you do, on one hand, um, have to acknowledge um, the sexual abuse from, from her father growing up, um, from David abusing her all these years, not to um, justify anything because she still was a part of it. Um, Honestly, I don't think the full revelation of her part uh, with the uh, abuse of the children has really sunk in. Um, I think that day is going to come, and it's going to hit her really hard. Um, again, we can only hope with the reconciliation uh, of her children. Obviously, one's talking to them already, which is a miracle in itself, to be quite honest with you. Um, so obviously, thoughts and prayers for the children. Um, that, that they can grow up normally. I mean, because if, if you watch the, the documentary, um, The House of Horrors on YouTube or whatever you might have seen it at, they went from being rescued from their house with the abuse from their parents. Some of the children went to a foster care system where they were abused even more. Um, they thought they were free from that, and they went to a foster care system where they were further abused. Um, now, as of now, they're you know they're doing wonderful. If you've seen uh, Jordan Turpin's uh, Instagram page, she's been hanging out with like Justin Bieber and his wife um, and some celebrities. He has one of those blue check marks on her name. So um, now, emotionally, who knows? Um, but the family seems to be doing well. Um, there there was some money that was put aside from them. Uh, the government really screwed up on. They didn't even allow the one child, the one boy, even to have a bike. Um, totally misappropriated the funds. Somebody got fired over it, and uh, it's a whole mess. Um, but hopefully now uh, things are going good for them. Um, and again, this is a it's a lighter side of Zero Killer Podcast. I thought it was a lot of dark stuff today. Uh, Try to shed some light on the positive. Uh, so hopefully in her heart there is true reconciliation. Um, again, I personally don't think she really acknowledged what really was going on in the children, the level of abuse and torture for them. Um, hopefully one day she will, as my conversations will continue with her. And sometimes it's baby steps. Uh, so I hope you enjoyed this podcast. It was a little uh, little on the darker side today. But again, we always try to shed a little bit of light in there. All right. So thanks again for everybody for ch- listening in to the Lighter Side of Serial Killer podcast. Uh, and again, until next time, see ya. 